And there ends the reading, the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. I've read it from the English Standard Version. I'll be going back through many of these verses. Let me begin by saying it's a pleasure and a privilege for us to be worshiping with you all at Living Hope Bible Presbyterian Church this evening on this occasion of your evening worship service and also as we act on behalf of the Eastern Presbytery of our Synod and ask David Moody the questions of licensure for an exam that he sustained via Zoom meeting. And so we're very glad for all of these things, and I wanted to speak to you today on this topic. It occurred to me, well, what, what shall I say to you from God's Word on this occasion? Something that would be relevant to David as he takes the next step in his pursuit of an ordained call to ministry, but also to all of us as we face the challenging times in which we live. And so, I've read these verses from James 1, which I think you can see right away the relevance. But I want to begin by telling you a little anecdote about a police officer from Minneapolis, Minnesota, a man named Jim Heimerl. He was taking part some years ago in a 16-mile run in the neighboring state of Wisconsin. And he was about four miles on into that race when a deer, a buck actually, walked onto the road and began zigzagging wildly through the runners. We didn't even see the animal until the two of them collided and sprawled out together onto the highway. Actually, the police officer received a concussion and opened a nasty gash on his forehead, and it required 23 stitches. Luckily, there was a doctor also running in that race not far behind him. But the deer, the buck, however, paid a much higher price for the encounter, and because of its injuries, it had to be put down. Now, the interesting thing is, is while the officer, Jim Heimerl, was recuperating in the hospital, state game officials contacted him to say that according to the law of the state of Wisconsin, anybody who hits and kills a deer on a Wisconsin roadway can claim that deer. Jim declined that offer, but he lamented, you know, I've been hunting deer for 14 years without getting a thing, and then I get one when I'm running a race. You see, friends, life doesn't always go the way we wish it would, does it? Each and every one of us is going to have some struggles in this life, some storms that are going to come. And that's why I've titled this message, When Trials Come. And on this occasion, it's worth noting that this is particularly true in the area of ministry. Now, whether that's ordained ministry, whether you serve as an elder or deacon in the church, Sunday school teacher, whatever. Maybe you have a, a, paramet, a parachurch ministry you're involved with, soup kitchen, whatever it may be. Trials come our way in ministry. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus gave his followers a rather odd promise. He said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And in 2 Timothy 3, 12, Paul said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And as the disciples preached in Antioch, according to Acts 14.22, it tells us that they, and I'm quoting here from the text, they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them, that is the believers, that they must enter the kingdom of God through many trials. Believers in Christ have indeed found that message of Jesus and the apostles to be quite true. Now, in the light of the things that we have seen in the news in recent years, 
right up to this very moment, we find ourselves having been in and facing even more challenging days ahead. And then on a personal level, each of us is either going through a personal trial right this moment, or you will face one of some sort in the future. So the question before us this evening, and I'll say before David as well, as he continues down that road to ordain call to ministry by God's grace, the question is not if we will have trials and difficulties, but rather it's when we do encounter them, how shall we deal with them? How shall we deal with it? Well, this is why I've turned to the epistle of James, because I think it gives us, I'm going to say, three basic suggestions. So I want to mention these three suggestions, and then each of the three has, you know, uh, I guess what you'd call sub-points. Here is the first thing that we can understand about going through the trials of life from this epistle. First of all, let God use the trials of life. Look again at verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, the last thing most of us think of doing when the storms come into our lives is how to use them in a positive manner. But here, James gives us, in this one heading... Three ways that God can use the storms of life to our benefit. And the first he suggests is to prove our faith. The storms of life give us a chance to reveal the genuineness of our faith. And the word, at least in the ESV translated testing here, it refers to, and I'm sure if you've been in the church any length of time, you've probably heard this, that it refers to a metal like iron that's put into a fire to burn away the impurities. So if your faith is real like pure gold, it will stand the test of fire and be proved as genuine. Now I think that we can understand that faith comes in two varieties. At least I'm going to suggest that now. What I'll call the if kind of faith. And then there's the nevertheless kind of faith. The one kind of faith says if all goes well. If life is prosperous and happy, then I will trust the Lord. So it's a conditional statement. It's an if-then sort of faith. But the other kind of faith is very different. It's the nevertheless kind. Though the forces of evil may seem to triumph, though everything else seems to go wrong, nevertheless, I will trust and believe God. Maybe by way of example, the if kind of faith was once demonstrated by a young man who asked God to help him pass an exam to be certified in the particular profession he was pursuing. And when he failed that test, he turned away from the Lord. So his approach was, if you will bless me, Lord, then I will serve you. But the other kind of faith was demonstrated by a lady whose son was critically injured in a motorcycle accident and whose husband had a heart attack from the shock. So she finds herself in the intensive care unit with her son and her husband, And her pastor was there, and she said to her pastor, I'm not going to draw any conclusions from this experience until God gets through with it. See, anybody can have faith when things are going your way. But we show what kind of faith we have when the chips are down, when trouble comes, when the lights go out. But then secondly, in terms of letting God use the trials, he can use them to make corrections 
in our lives, adjustments in our lives. I'm sure some of you remember when your parents disciplined you. I hope you haven't forgotten some of those incidences. Now, we know that a parent's discipline really was and is for our own good. And what at that time we viewed as a trial turned out to help shape our future, hopefully in a positive way. Now, I'm not implying that every bit of trouble that comes into life is caused by God. But I'm saying that God can use whatever problem we're going through to help us reach out to him and to get going in the right direction. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119.71, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. You might want to remember that. Psalm 119, verse 71. Look, at, look it up in five different translations. That, that is powerful. My suffering was good for me. It taught me to pay attention to your decrees, O Lord. The times that most of us reach out for God are not when things are going great, but when life has gone off the rails, off track. The challenges of life often lead us into a deeper relationship with our Heavenly Father. They give us an opportunity to recognize how much we need Him, and it gives us the security when we realize how willing our Lord is to help us. And then thirdly, in terms of letting him use these trials, he uses them to develop our endurance. And then endurance, in turn, makes us mature, complete, lacking nothing, as James says here. I remember reading many years ago how on the date of December 29, 1987, that was a long time ago now, a Soviet cosmonaut, a Soviet uh, astronaut, returned to Earth after... 326 days of crossing the earth. 326 days. That's a long time to be up in space. And he was in good health. But that had not always been the case with these record-breaking voyages the Soviets were attempting. Five years earlier, touching down after 211 days in space, two cosmonauts on that mission suffered dizziness, high pulse rates, and heart palpitations. They couldn't walk for a week. And after 30 days, they were still undergoing therapy for atrophied muscles and weakened hearts. See, at zero gravity, the muscles of the body begin to waste away because there's no resistance. And so to counteract that problem, the Soviet scientists prescribed a vigorous exercise program for their astronauts, their cosmonauts. And they invented something that they jokingly call the penguin suit. It was a running suit that was laced with elastic bands. And it resists every move the cosmonaut makes, forcing them to exert their strength. And apparently it worked. You know, we often long for days of ease and pleasantness without any difficulty. But God knows better. The easier our lives, the weaker our spiritual fiber. Because strength of any kind grows only during exertion. And when fortitude is lacking in one of God's children, he has a time-tested remedy. So you better be ready. What is your handicap today? What is your unpleasant circumstance this evening? What is it that binds your life? What causes you to suffer? The book of James tells us not to lament such things. Why? Because the Lord God may use these things to mold you into a more sanctified life. Every experience of suffering, my friends, is a crossroad in life. Which way are you going to go? You can respond in anger. You can become bitter. 
or you can accept that storm as the chisel God is using to sculpt you into a saint and become better. See, it's our choice, ultimately. So then secondly, and the second major heading is when the trials come, we should seek God's guidance in the trials. I believe that calling on God for guidance is a necessary part of our spiritual health. And so let me suggest these three things in terms of seeking God's guidance. We should ask for it. That's the first thing. We should ask for his guidance. Look again at verse 5, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and he means all his children, and it will be given him. Maybe you've heard that promise quoted all kinds of times and places for various occasions. But you see, it is specifically given here for those who are facing difficulties in life. We are most vulnerable, you see, to making unwise choices when we find ourselves under the stresses and strains of life. And so we need the wisdom of God to help us think straight and to know that there is an end in sight. Do we ask the Lord for guidance? James 1.6 says we are to ask him. He will give to us liberally or gladly. And then secondly, we should expect to be given his guidance. Have you ever prayed to the Lord and as soon as you were finished praying, you began immediately to try to figure out everything, every aspect of the problem on your own? I know I've done that many times, and I'm sure some of you have too. And, and when we do that, we're not praying in faith. We're not really expecting God to do anything about it. We're just going through the motions and asking God in prayer because that's the sort of thing we've been told a Christian is supposed to do. But look again at verses 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, when we seek God's guidance, let us do so knowing that he has the answer to whatever challenge or challenges we're facing. And then thirdly, never stop seeking his guidance. Never stop seeking it. In Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples that they should always be praying for God's guidance and never give up or lose heart. God will come through for us. But he's not working on our or your timetable. You've got to be patient and at the same time continue to pray to seek his will and his guidance. And then the third and last major heading concerning this issue of when the trials come is that we should consider what God is telling us in the trials. When the difficulties come, what is it that God is trying to say to us through them? You know, it might seem difficult when those times arrive in our lives, but we really need to take some time and examine closely the situation that we find ourselves in. And that means, first of all, to accept the circumstances. If you go back and look again at verses 9 through 11, James' main point there is that whatever situation you're dealing with, God is there. He honors the poor. He humbles the rich. He makes us to face the reality of our life circumstances. Now, you know, most of the time, at least in the short run, there's not a thing in the world you can do about the trouble that you find yourself in. James says that everything is going to fade away eventually, though, so it is, it is unhealthy to place all of our focus on either our poverty or our riches or whatever else it may be. No matter what the troubles are, are, afflict your life, it's going to pass. There is a better day ahead. 
But secondly, it also means that we should anticipate our ultimate destiny. Now, you know, in the standard evangelical understanding of things, that means that we can have pie in the sky by and by when we die. This old world is just not fit for anything, and it's going to wear out just like I'm wearing out. And I, praise God, I, I'm looking, longing for heaven. Well, that may be the popular evangelical fundamentalist mindset, my friends, but that's not biblical. That's not Bible, as old Oliver B. Green used to say. See, you could lose everything meaningful in life, but there's one thing that cannot be taken away. And that's the promises that God has given to us, that we will have life abundantly, both now and in the age to come. It was the great missionary William Carey who said that our future is as bright as the promise of God. Let that sink in. And that's the promise God has given to all of us. We will have life abundantly, both now and in the age to come. James 1.12, How blessed is the man who perseveres through temptation, for after he has passed the test, he will receive as his crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He will receive as his crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He will receive the Stephanon taste zoes. No, I'm not trying to impress you with Greek. I'm saying that because I want you to know that he says as the crown of life. The term zoe there on which the word zoes is based has a specific reference to the God kind of life, the divine kind of life that is ours now and in the age to come. Now, I, for one, do not believe that James refers to some pie in the sky by and by, as I said. No, this is a real time, this world promise that as we persevere on the road to sanctification, we are blessed by God with a new kind of life, a Zoe kind of life. Jesus himself spoke of this in Mark 10 and Luke 18. It's now and the blessing in the age to come. My friends, it does not matter. What the stock market do? Okay, wait a minute. Let me, let me back up. Maybe in the short run, maybe in some broad sense, yes, it does matter what the economy's doing, what the stock market's doing. It doesn't matter in some broad sense what the politicians are saying or what your bank account is doing, but ultimately it doesn't. Because we can praise God today since we know that he is sovereign and Satan always loses. In closing, let me tell you about an army chaplain I heard about once who had a sign outside his door for all the soldiers to see. He said, soldier, this is what the sign said, soldier, if you have troubles, come in and tell me about them. But if you don't have any troubles, you come in and tell me how you do it. Friends, none of us would claim that we have no troubles, no trials. But thank God Almighty, he teaches us the best way to deal with them. And in his name, we have victory through Christ Jesus. Let us pray.